Well, if you would turn with me in your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians, we are going to continue on in our study. We are going to be in chapter 12. Uh, Craig wrapped up chapter 10 for us, so here we are. Uh, this section that we are now transitioning to, uh, we are done dealing with idols. We are now dealing with fellowship, which is fitting because uh, two lessons ago, my lesson, we were fleeing idolatry because of fellowship, uh, the love and the connection, and the community that we have because we are one in Christ. And now there's a, 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 some various areas where this church at Corinth is struggling when it comes to fellowship. Uh, there's a number of areas, whether it's immorality or tolerance or idolatry or marriage that this church is confused about. And Paul is writing to help them to correct them because he loves them. And you'll notice that we're beginning in verse 2. Well, why are we not starting in verse 1? Well, we remember that the chapters and even the verse numbers are not inspired. And if you could redo this you would actually include verse 1 at the end of chapter 10. And there's a helpful thing when you look at your, your Bibles. A number of you, the number 2, is there something different about the number 2 and the number 3 besides them being different numbers? It's bold. The number 2 is bold. Why? Because that's a, new, that's a transition. Uh, when they go back and they look at the original Greek and they understand that there's a transition there. So in chapter 10, where was the last bolded number that you saw in chapter 10? Peter? 31. Verse 31. All right. And some of you are like, I need a better Bible. It didn't have the little boldy things. So verse 31 of chapter 10 says, Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to either Jews or Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of the many, so they may be saved. Be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. So that's the last section. And Paul ends it with, you guys should look at my example, which is fitting because the whole time he's talking about dealing with idolatry, he uses himself as an example for them to follow. But he's not doing it from a prideful thing. He's saying, hey, I simply follow Jesus, and so I want you to follow me. Well, as we transition to dealing with fellowship, today we are talking about unblurring the lines of gender. Unblurring the lines of gender. And so this is our lesson title for tonight. And I encouraged you at the beginning of our study of 1 Corinthians to have your thinking cap on, to be ready to understand and to grow and to learn. There are some difficult things in this chapter. For instance, do women have to wear head coverings in the church service? If you read without understanding the context and what's happening, you could very well walk away from this saying, yes, all women, you need to, you need to have your head covered. You need to wear a veil. This is one of those passages along when we get to tongues and spiritual gifts that's can be very difficult. So we need to make sure that we study this passage and we understand it properly. You know, the last time I taught this lesson was in 2015. And in 2015, I warned the high school and the middle school that our society was on a downhill slope. And then if we weren't careful, men would start dressing up as women and playing sports 
against other women. And that men were going to want to use the women restrooms and all of this weird kooky stuff. And you know what? I wasn't a prophet. Those things were already starting to happen. But now is it not disgusting? Our society and the things that we think of, you have the, you know, the whole transgender and yada yada and so forth and all of that stuff. Well, and I think it was 2014, the elders kind of seeing ahead put this in our distinctives. And I know that you guys have uh, the distinctives memorized um, in our church doctrinal statement. You can just, you know, write it off. Um, but it says this, all laboratories, restrooms, bathrooms, or facilities of Countryside Bible Church shall be designated for use by specific gender. Gender shall be defined as the physiological sex, male or female, of an individual at the time of their birth. Well, why did we write this? So that it wasn't an after-the-fact type of thing. We already had this in writing. That people understand that violation of this policy, excluding young children or special needs children accompanied by a parent, shall result in the immediate expulsion of the offending individual from the grounds of Countryside Bible Church. So if you're a dude and you try to use the girl's restroom, you're gone and vice versa. I don't know if that really happens that often. But there are stories, guys, of in schools... Where guys who call themselves girls are allowed to use the girls' restrooms and terrible things happen. And whether you go into Target or whether you go into Walmart and stuff like that. And, and we look at people and we're like, is that a dude or is that a girl? I don't know anymore. It's, it's pretty confusing. But why? On our heart, God has written. He has ingrained on our heart what is right and what is wrong. It is illogical to say that you can choose your gender. Male or female is determined at birth. X and Y chromosomes, all of that stuff, right? But man doesn't like what God sets. So man takes and he suppresses the truth and he sears their heart. So man can now be their own God. And they can do their own thing. And the farther our society drifts from the Bible, the weirder and kookier it's going to get. Now, they did not have a problem in Corinth of the guys wanting to use the girls' restroom. There were some issues of authority and appropriateness. And what Paul is saying is, girls, you need to look like girls, and guys, you need to look like guys. That is God's order and what he wants. Around the same time, I think it might have been 2014, you may or may not have seen this movie series called Divergent. And I, I watched the Divergent series, and I didn't really think a whole lot of it, but I was like, wow, in the first movie, the girl looked like a girl. And I think by the second movie, she's the hero. She looked like a dude. And it was kind of confusing, all right? In that movie, or in that book series, it's about you don't have to do the predetermined course that society wants you to walk in. And you're like, well, what does that have to do with transgender besides the girl having a really bad haircut? When you Google, there's this thing called the Google. You Google divergent. Gender divergent is people whose gender identity and sex assigned at birth do not correspond based on society's expectations. Gender diverse youth can include transgender, gens women, as well as youth who are gender fluid, gender queer, non-binary, agender, whatever it is. 
All right? Movies like this start to desensitize us to these things, and it's not accidental. Now, I'm not saying you can't ever watch the movie again or whatnot, all right? But you need to understand what is being pushed to us, what is being taught to us, and what's going on here. A lot of this stems from the fact that men have abused and mistreated women forever. And have not loved them and have not cared for them. Christianity corrects that. And elevates women to love and to cherish and to protect and to provide for. But outside of Christianity, women are property. And they are used and abused. And so you have the, the feminist movement that rises up from that where I am woman, hear me roar and throw off the shackles of oppression. Well, now it's I am a dude dressed as a woman, hear me roar. And it's all turned upside down. And now you have men swimming in women's events and the women are saying, well, how did this happen? It all started with society saying, we don't want to do things God's way. We want to do them our way. And when you remove the rule book and you come up with your own rules, it gets ugly fast. It gets ugly fast. Number one in our outline is the information to understand. The information to understand. And you see in verse 2, Paul's praise. Now I praise you. Why is this interesting? You can actually answer this. Why is this an interesting way to start? I praise you. Thinking caps. Gresham. What? Oh, he has been raking him over the coals the whole time. Whole time. And now he's, he's, he started off the letter by thanking them. And he really just says, hey, I thank God for what he's done. And now he's praising them, right? There's some, there's some positive things. He really loves this church. But he says, I praise you because you remember me in everything and hold firmly to the traditions just as I delivered them to you. John MacArthur says the basic problem in the Corinthian church did not concern doctrine but lifestyle. They remembered and believed the cordial truths about God's nature and work, but they did not lead godly lives. Now, I will say this. Not 100% true because when you have the right doctrine, you have the, the right lifestyle. But there, are, there were positive things in this church that were going on. These traditions, all right, we normally think of tradition as a bad thing. Like Matthew 15 why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. And Jesus answered and said to them, Why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? So the Pharisees had their traditions and their rituals that they made up. And they would take those and tell other people, You have to follow them. Because God wants you to. But if they made that up, it wasn't true. But we see traditions as teachings that came from the apostles down to the church and have been passed on. 2 Thessalonians 2.15. This is a positive way to use traditions. So then, brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word of mouth or by letter from us. 
There is a lot. Remember, Paul is the one who established this church. Paul is the one who taught and trained this church. There is a lot that he taught them about God that they still hold to. And that they still follow. And so he's going to praise them for that. He's going to praise them. But then we see, quickly, Paul's prompt. He's going to prompt them to something. But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man. And the man is the head of a woman and God is the head of Christ. And so clearly the word head is important here. When you see it here, it means the ruling and sovereign part of the body. Your head has your brain. And that tells you what to do and how to do. In the same way, Christ is our head. He is the sovereign part of the church, but also of the individual. I prompt you to understand something. This is the foundational, okay? Christ is the head of every man. So what does that mean? Christ tells us what to do and we do it. I mean, if the head tells you to eat and you say no, or the head tells you to walk and you say no, the body doesn't function that way. What the head says, you do. Christ is the head of every man. And what Christ says, we do. But then, in that, as Christ's representative, man is the head of a woman. Now, we know the, the relationship between husband and wife, that Christ is the head of the church, and that the husband is to lead and to shepherd his wife well, and the wife is to submit. But in generality, man was made to lead, to have authority. You think of the structure of the church. The elders are men. The pastors are men. So men lead because they are the head of a woman. And God is the head of Christ. All right? And I'm not sure exactly why we have it in this order, but... We'll walk through it a little bit different in a second. Colossians 2.10 says, And in him you have been made complete, and he is the head over all rule and authority. And we'll get to some of this, but that doesn't mean that every guy in here can just walk up to a girl and say, Hey, make me a sandwich. I am the head of you. No, that's not what we're, that's not what we're talking about here, okay? No, we're talking about. God is the head of Christ. Well, the, God is... Christ and Christ is, you have God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, three individual persons, but they're all one. So what does it mean when it says that God is the head of Christ? Are there any times that Jesus submitted to the Father? Can you think of any examples? Isaiah? The, the cross. Jesus submitted to the Father's plan and he went to the cross for us. Imagine if the plan of God the Father was for God the Son to die. And God the Son said, mm, nuh -uh. Jesus repeatedly said, not my will, but your will be done. And why do we get that beautiful picture? We get the picture of the authority structure that's there. And so as God is the head of Christ, and Christ is the head of every man, every man submits to Christ and has that authority, but also in generality, man is here to help lead to be the head of a woman. We need to understand that. That's the information to understand. 
Now, let's look at the issue to uncover, which, get it? Head covering, uncover. <laughs> okay, I knew you fell asleep a while ago. I'm going to read this. And I know sometimes when I read all of it, you fall asleep, but I don't want you to read it. I, I want you to read along. I don't want you to fall asleep. Every man who has something on his head while praying or prophesying disgraces his head. But every woman who has her head uncovered while praying or prophesying disgraces her head. For she is one and the same as the woman whose head is shaved. For if a woman does not cover her head, let her also have her hair cut off. But if it is disgraceful for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, let her cover her head. Then I know you're already like, well, who's doing what to now? Who is on first? Shaved, covered, uncovered. Verse 7, for a man ought not to have his head covered since he is the image and the glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. For man does not originate from woman, but woman from man. For indeed, man was not created for the woman's sake, but woman for the man's sake. Therefore, the woman ought to have a symbol of, a, or sorry, ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. However, in the Lord, neither is woman independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as the woman originates from the man, so also the man has his birth through the woman, and all things originate from God. Judge for yourselves, is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? But does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him? But if a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given to her for a covering. But if one is inclined to be conscientious, we have no practice, nor have the churches of God. So, you definitively tell me, is it okay for a woman... To not have her hair covered. Is her hair covering her hair or is it a cover? What about guys? Is it okay for guys to have long hair? How long is too long if you say no? I know your dad always wants you to get a shaggy haircut and things like that. I always tell people grow it while you got it because it's not going to happen forever. There's a lot of things that are confusing about this. So what we're going to do is we're going to seek to make it simple. We're just going to seek to make it simple. When it comes to every man, every man who has something on his head, okay, is this long hair? Is this a veil of some sort? Is this a baseball hat? Now, culturally, when you guys come to youth, we ask you to do what? We ask the men to take their hat off. Why? Because we are in Texas, people. All right? When you're in Texas and you're a guy, when you enter into a building, your hat goes off. That's just, maybe culturally that'll change one day. Maybe it already has changed. Every once in a while, I'll see people in big church wearing a hat. And I'm like, take that hat off. No, I don't. I don't do that. No, I don't. But we do that out of respect for the guys. But the girls, it's a different thing. So what are we talking about here? The, the word has something on his head means having down from the head. Just solved the case, didn't I? Does that help you? No, not necessarily. Not necessarily, all right? John MacArthur says, to clarify this, that in Paul's day, numerous symbols were used to signify the woman's subordinate relationship to men, particularly husbands to wives. 
Usually the symbol was in the form of a head covering. And in the Greek-Roman world of Corinth, the symbol apparently was some kind of veil. So what he is saying, when you culturally look at Corinth, if a dude has a woman's hat on, no. No. Does that help? Does that start to make a little bit more sense with some of these things? But he says specifically while praying or prophesying. Well, we understand what, what praying is, right? Some would believe that prophesying is just a declaration of Scripture. I, I find that hard to believe. It's, remember, the gift of prophecy was still going on in Corinth, right? But there's some aspect or part of the service that's happening. And guys are wanting to wear something that normally only women would wear. And we've already got some weird stuff happening at Corinth. We don't need this type of weird in God's worship service, do we? Is this in the service or in general? What about at other times, right? It says it disgraces his head. Now, here we go. Is it his literal head? Or is it Christ the head? I don't, I don't think your like physical head is disgraced, Okay. But the idea is that it's disgraceful. It's not what Christ wants you to do. And Christ is your authority. Christ is the one that you should submit to. Christ is the one you should submit, submit to. Now that was the men. What about every, every woman? Every woman who has her head uncovered while praying or prophesying disgraces her head. So if we're saying culturally in Corinth that there was a special head covering that the women were to wear. And when they refused to wear it, they were showing that they're throwing off the shackles of authority. Do we still need to wear that head covering now? No. Now, when we're married, we do wear a symbol to show other people that we're together and that we're married. But we don't put anything on our heads to show that we're connected or together or subordinate or anything like that, all right? So you have to think of this culture. Like, for instance, does this get addressed anywhere else in Scripture? No, it, it doesn't because this is something special that's going on here at Corinth and might not be addressed in other areas. John MacArthur says that dress is largely cultural, and unless what a person wears is immodest or sexually aggressive, suggestive, another lesson for another day, it has no moral or spiritual significance. Throughout biblical times, as is many parts of the world today, both men and women wore some type of robe. But there were always clear distinctions of dress between men and women, most often indicated by hair length and head coverings. So dudes wearing robes, girls wearing robes. You girl, you're a dude. Who am I going to talk to and things like that. Ah, you have long hair and pretty eyelashes, okay? Oh, you have a head cover. Oh, this makes life so much easier, okay? I, I, I get it, all right? I know who is who in this. But in the culture, if the, if the woman does not want to submit to the headship of Christ in his plan and authority, that's where the problem comes in. So we've looked at every man, we've looked at every woman. Now let's look at every reason. Every reason. Verse 16. But if one is inclined 
to be contentious, we have no other practice nor have the churches of God. Look, if you're going to be argumentative and you're going to buck the system and you're going to fight against God, hmm, for the men, verse 7, ought not to have his head covered since he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is glory of man. So representing, all right, we know that we are created in the image of God. The way he made us is the way that he made us. I want you to go to Genesis 1. I know you're familiar with Genesis 1, but there's a few things for us to, to walk through and to glean. We know that in six literal days, God created the heavens and the earth. In verse 26, he says, let us make man in our image. Who's the our? God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. According to our likeness. And here we go. Wow, that was a Cowboys reference. Not what I was going for. Let them, what? Rule. Man has been created in God's image. And what's the first thing he's supposed to do here? To lead. To rule, to have authority over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Let's go back to verse 3 of 1 Corinthians 11.3. Remember, man is the head of a woman. So Adam was created first. From Adam came Eve. And one argument, all right, we have first of all the argument of creation. Man was created in the image of God for the glory of God. And so he should act and dress a certain way. He should act like a man. He should dress like a man. But also it says in verse 14, does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him. Now we're not talking about like Pocahontas, Mother Nature, Mother Willow, paint with the colors of the, we're, we're talking about, isn't it just obvious? Isn't it just obvious that if a man has long hair, it's a dishonor to him? Well, a lot of this actually is tied up again in the Roman culture. David Garland said that since Roman men normally kept their hair short, in a diatribe against a young student associated with Corinth, whose hair was somewhat too elaborately dressed, Epictetus asked, are you a man or a woman? Isn't that a great question to ask people these days? And brands his hairstyle as a complaint against nature. In Rome, they did not have long hair. The guys didn't. You know, we think of, of Jesus, and you've seen like drawings and paintings of him, right? And he's always got long hair. Well, it's not really Jesus, but it's a different culture. That's a Jewish culture, right? In the Roman culture where Corinth was, short hair was the norm. And the Romans actually had a little bit of a poem. It doesn't rhyme. Maybe in Latin it does. If a child is a boy, do not let locks grow on his head. Do not braid his crown nor cross knots at the top of his head. Long hair is not fit for boys, but for voluptuous women. I don't know why they threw in the voluptuous thing. Right? Maybe they had to make the syllables work. That's very Roman, unfortunately. But this is the attitude 
that the Romans had. And remember, Rome controlled Corinth at this time. So this was the societal norm. He goes on to write that Paul is interested in what nature teaches and brings up hair only by way of analogy. It serves as a type of cover. Nature has given women hair as glorious natural cover. Therefore, women should follow the lead of nature as defined by social decorum and cover their heads. Men, on the other hand, do not use hair as a cover since it is dishonorable for them to have long hair. Taking this cue from nature, men do not need a cover. Women do. Women do. What about the women here? For she is one and the same as the woman whose head is shaved. And you're like, I do not know many women that have shaved head. It was dishonorable for them to cut their hair short and to shave their head. And often, shaved head was associated with prostitution. There were times that if the husband was upset with the woman in Corinth, that he would have her hair cut in shame. Keeping in mind that most of the time in Rome, the women were treated like what? Property. It's not good. In Judaism, in Israel, if you burn the dinner, that could be grounds of divorce. Christianity is what frees and teaches us the real understanding of women and the husband-wife relationship. What he's saying is, look, if, if you're going to go to church and you're not going to dress appropriately and you're going to make yourself appear masculine, you might as well go ahead and shave that whole baby off and, and act like you're a prostitute. For a man not ought to have his head covered since he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. Now, that doesn't mean that the woman is just here to, to, to serve us and to do all of those things. But as Eve was taken from the rib of Adam, there is that idea of we're glorifying God and women are glorifying man in their Role. The man is the head of a woman. Go to Genesis 2 again. 2.18. The Lord said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a co-ruler suitable for him. Is that what it says? No, it says, I will make a helper, a helpmate suitable for him. Out of the ground, the Lord formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that's what his name was. And the man gave names to all the cattle and the birds and the sky and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a suitable helper for him. And let that be a lesson to you guys. God has created one helpmate that really satisfies what we need and what completes us in that. I mean, it could be you have the gift of singleness, possibly. But for a lot of us, we don't have the gift of singleness. And the companion, woman, this helpmate is what we need. It's what we need. We, you know, God knew that we'd be eating like beanie weenies and ramen noodle all of our life. And we needed someone to help us and someone to tell us when we're being dumb. And someone to, to love and to care and to, to, to raise our children and all of these wonderful things. So the Lord... Verse 21, caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from man and brought her to man. 
This man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And so then we pause and remember, you are to love others as you love yourself, right? And when you become married, you are one flesh. And so men, you don't lead in a domineering way. You do so in a loving, gracious, kind way. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. It's pretty neat, pretty special, the way all of this works out, the way that it ties in. But if a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given to her for covering. Now, this is even confusing, right? Because what's another way you could read this? One way, your hair, long and beautiful, was given to you to put a cover on it. Well, what's another way you could read that? Nothing? You just don't want to jump out on a limb. The hair is the covering. The hair is the covering. And there's, there's some reality to that. The hair you have, you grow it to an appropriate length all right? And it doesn't say like this long or this long or it has to be that long or whatever it is. But it's there as your covering or it's there for you to complement with a covering. Now, what about for the men and the women? It's important that we realize that there are different roles but not different importance. Different roles but not different importance. Let's go back to the 1 Corinthians 11, verse 11. However... In the Lord, neither is woman independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as the woman originates from the man, so also the man has his birth through the woman, and all things originate from God. The first woman came from the rib of Adam. All men after that come from women. Galatians 3.28, Therefore, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And some would use this verse to say, it's okay to have women pastors. It's okay to have women elders. Uh, guy, girl, look at this. No, no, his, his point is, right, there are roles that we are commanded to fulfill and to submit to. But in that, the guy isn't better than the girl and the girl isn't better than the guy. I mean, God, God loves you equally. Both of your roles are incredibly important. The husband leads, the wife submits, and they're both equal before God. They're both equal before God and beautiful. Now, I want you to flip over to Galatians 3. This is the context of this verse. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For you are all baptized into Christ and have clothed yourself with Christ. So what he's talking about here, he's talking about you are a sinner, you repented and believed in Jesus, and now you are all children of God. It doesn't matter anymore if you're, you're Jew or you're, you're Greek or you're a man or you're a woman. You are now one in Christ Jesus. 
And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. Different roles, but not different importance. If I haven't thoroughly confused you, maybe I have. I just want us to use these implications to wrap everything up and to tell us what, what do we do from here? What do we do and how do we do this? Okay? For men, fulfill your role. Fulfill your role. God has created us, men, to lead, to protect, to provide, to be strong. God does not want us to be weak and effeminate. God does not want us to hide behind our women and let them take the bulk of the role and the responsibility. He wants us to fulfill our role, to do what we are supposed to do. We are created in God's image and our life and actions are to glorify Him. To glorify Him. We also need to view women and treat women how God does. God does so with absolute purity. God does so with love. God does so not looking down at, at women as inferior to men, but as equal in Christ Jesus. And that's how we need to view them and we need to look at them. For women, I encourage you to trust God. And, well, why don't, why don't the men have to trust God? Well, yes, they have to trust God. But if you're the one driving, you feel you have a little bit more control of what's going to happen with the car. If someone else is driving and you're sitting next to them, do you feel that control? No. So God has appointed man to teach, to lead, and women trust God in that and submit to God's plan. And in the marriage relationship, you're thinking of the, the, the guy driving the family and leading the family. And sometimes you simply must trust God and submit to the Lord in that. Don't take over and do things on your own. Uh, throughout history, the tendency is for the man to defer to the woman because he doesn't want the responsibility. He doesn't want to be the one with his head on the chopping block. Or he's lazy and he's more than happy to sit back and let the woman do all the work. Trust God in his plan. View men and treat men how God commands you to. When it comes to uh, the roles of the church, there's submission there. Uh, allow them to teach. Allow them to lead. When it comes to the relationship of husband and wife, submit. Knowing that that's a very difficult thing and there's a, a mutual submitting that's going on. But do things God's way. Anytime we think, I know better than God, we're wrong. We're wrong. We need to submit and do things God's way. John MacArthur writes that in modern cultures, where wearing a hat or veil 
does not symbolize subordination. That practice should not be required of Christians. But women's hair and women's dress is to be distinctly feminine and demonstrate her womanly loveliness and submissiveness. There should be no confusion about male and female identities. And I will leave all of you with this as we conclude. This world is going to continue to drift farther and farther away from God's truth and standards. We need to do what? We need to draw closer and closer to God and his standards. Because we are a light in a dark and dying world. And this dark and dying world is going to have women look like men. And it's going to have men try to look like women awkwardly. And we're here to say Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. True joy doesn't come from changing your gender. True joy doesn't come from throwing off the shackles of oppression of God. True joy comes from believing in the Lord Jesus Christ and serving him the way he commands you to serve. Don't shun, confront with the truth. Pray for people's salvation. Let's pray. Lord God, we love you so much. We understand this is a very difficult chapter for us. But we know it's not a difficult chapter for you. And I appreciate these youth and their willingness to come tonight and to learn, to process this information. And I pray that you give us wisdom to do the right thing. I pray for the young men that are here tonight, that they would love you, that they would serve Jesus well, that they would lead, that they would provide, that they would protect, that they would do the things that you have called them to. And Lord willing, one day when you, when you give them a wife, that they would love that wife as Christ loved the church and would be willing to die as they lead their wife and their family. I pray for the young ladies, that they would trust you in all things, that they would submit to you. And Lord willing, one day down the road, if you're to have them married, may they submit to your plan for the family. Trust you, submit to their husbands in love. I pray for all of us, Lord, whether we're married or not married, that we would share your gospel. Because this world is sick. This world is confused. This world is sinful. And people need Christ. And that's the only way they're going to change. May we be the ones that bring the light and bring the truth of Jesus. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.